Welcome back to Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast. I'm Mackenzie Eckern from the CE Impact team. We are so excited to kick off our second season of Game Changers and happy to bring you our dedicated listeners new benefits. We've added CME credit. Our listeners are prescribers and pharmacists who need to stay up to date on the Game Changers Impacting Pharmacotherapy. For more information on how to get pharmacy and medicine CE, just download the Pharmacy Network app and go to the Game Changers Podcast Academy. Listening and claiming credit earns you two hours of CE every month. Second, you can access the show notes and CE credit links right in our app. Just download the Pharmacy Network app and go to the Game Changers Podcast Academy. Listening and claiming credit earns you two hours of CE every month. Each week, Game Changers helps you stay up to date while on the go. Today, Dr. Wall dissects a recent Lancet publication discussing sharp versus long-term treatment for community-acquired pneumonia. Let's listen in. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, uh, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. Uh, hopefully, wherever you are uh, and whenever you are, because you never know exactly when these uh, uh, podcasts are going to be uh, released uh, out to everyone, you're doing okay. Um, thanks very much for listening. If uh, you haven't listened to us before, hopefully you like what you hear. Uh, head on over to uh, where you listen to podcasts and hit the like button if you have a chance to do that. Also, uh, subscribe to us. Uh, the more people that subscribe, that's always a good thing. Um, and uh, most importantly, head over to ceimpact.com. Uh, CE Impact is the company that produces uh, this this uh, podcast, and uh, they uh, actually have a, a number of really, really good CE programs, not just for this, which you can actually get CE from just listening to my voice, but also CE uh, for a wide variety of other topics for pharmacists, um, and, and, and they're, they're very good topics, uh, well-written and uh, easy to digest as it will. So, so yeah, please do head over there and check them out. Today, we are not going to talk about COVID. Yay, we are actually going to talk about something back, something having to do with infections, but not COVID. We're actually going to talk about a brand new paper uh, that looked at uh, a short versus long-term treatment for community-acquired pneumonia, and it was called the Pneumonia Short Treatment Study, a European study, actually a French study, uh, like I said, hot off the press, just published in uh, in uh, um, Lancet. So this was a study uh, that that is, is an issue that I think we deal with all the time. Community-acquired pneumonia is, is one of the most common reasons I see people admitted to both my medicine service and my ICU. So you're gonna, I see plenty of cap in my career, but, but even those who work in, in the outpatient community, pharmacists, things like that, I'm sure you fill your fair share of prescriptions and interact with patients all the time with patients who are being treated for outpatient cap. So, so community-acquired pneumonia is still a, a very, very common issue. Uh, they note in the paper and that, that in the United States, community-acquired pneumonia results in, in up to 800,000 admissions uh, to in the United States every year, and and I think that's that that number certainly seems correct to me, just based on 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 my uh, uh, you know per capita uh, uh, bed space so that we have for patients with cap. So we're, you're certainly going to see these patients admitted to the hospital, and of course, the older patients get, the more likely they're going to have cap. That's bad enough that they're going to need hospitalization, and unfortunately, deaths go up as you might imagine as as the age goes up as well. So because uh, the population is aging in general. Uh, even though we've we've made some real strides, I think in in uh, things like uh, influenza vaccination, pneumococcal vaccination. 
vaccination, things like that, we're still seeing a, a increase in the number of admissions to hospitals and the number of outpatient prescriptions for uh, 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 antibiotics for community acquired pneumonia. So uh, this is not an, a problem that's going to go away, even though we can and should vaccinate appropriate patients, we're still going to see a lot of these patients that, uh, being treated or being admitted to the hospital. As far as, uh, as guidelines are concerned, we, we won't take the time today to go, go through the, the treatment guidelines. Uh, certainly in the United States, I'd say the, 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 the most, some of the more common drugs you're going to be seeing used for CAP would include uh, uh, um, beta-lactams, such as oral third-generation cephalosporins. Uh, you're also going to see things like, like uh, azithromycin, doxycycline. Uh, I'm trying in my neck of the woods to try and downplay the use of, of levofloxacin just because of all the issues that we're seeing with, with, with the quinolones as a class. Um, but, but, but certainly, I see a fair share of that as well. In the hospital uh, and non-ICU patients, so at least in my neck of the woods, we use a lot of, of beta-lactam, usually a third-generation cephalosporin, uh, plus a, a, a macro antibiotic, usually azithromycin. So, I, you know, not talking about the drug so much, but talking about the duration. So current guidelines and actually just recently updated guidelines we're going to talk about say uh, in the United States say that five days of therapy is, is reasonable for most patients who are not immunocompromised, who don't have severe lung disease or don't have other issues that might require longer treatment. They're not bacteremic. Uh, you know, five days of treatment is, 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 is sufficient in, in those patients and European guidelines. And remember this paper, that we're going to talk about was, was published from, from France, uh, recommends eight days of guidelines. But when you take a look at surveys, survey studies suggest that physicians usually prescribe uh, both in, in both the U.S. and the European Union for up to 10 days in most cases. And seven to 10 days is, is, is the usual amount of, of time that you're going to see that. And as we all know, you know, the longer you're on antibiotics, the, the more the chance for side effects, in particular C. diff. And so, you know, the, the, there's certainly some concern that, that, that putting people on antibiotics for longer than they need to be on um, is, 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 is not a good thing. So that's kind of where this pneumonia short treatment study came up. This was a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial. It was a non-inferiority study, as most infectious disease studies are nowadays. It was done in 16 uh, French hospitals. And what they did in these hospitals is they took patients who were adults, obviously, uh, who had moderate to severe community-acquired pneumonia. And that kind of stands to reason because they were all hospitalized. Uh, they were treated with beta-lactam monotherapy. And that is a key difference be that when we're interpreting this study, uh, from, from the kind of an American point of view, because European guidelines recommend um, uh, uh, either third-generation cephalosporins or amoxicillin um, clavulanate, or, or, and they have the, they actually, in Europe, they have the intravenous version of Augmentin there. We don't have that here. We have Unison in the United States. But basically, you know, uh, a beta-lactam, beta-lactamase inhibitor uh, plus, or a, a parenteral third-generation cephalosporin is recommended in the European Union for treatment of inpatient community-acquired pneumonia that isn't in the ICU. So just th throwing that out that that is a key difference here. Um, and so in this study, uh, they, they were treated with that therapy and after 72 hours had a, a clinical response that basically uh, made them stable. And we'll talk about what the definition of the stability criteria was here in a second. They define community-acquired pneumonia, I think pretty standardly. And I think I think we would all agree on their on their uh, definition of CAP, where these are patients who had symptoms of, of pneumonia, cough, dyspnea, perlian sputum, crackles on, on, on auscultation. They had fevers, um, and then a new pulmonary infiltrate on imaging, either chest x-ray or CT scan. 
So um, in patients who met that definition uh, uh, that, that they were considered eligible for the study, they excluded ICU patients. So again, that's another key uh, uh, thing we need to think about when we're, we're talking about the study is as patients who are sick enough to be in the ICU, and in our world, that probably means patients who are intubated uh, were excluded from the study. Uh, uh, they also excluded other complicating factors associated with capsule patients who had an empyema, so a pus pocket in the lung or an abscess, uh, patient, patients who had a uh, uh, a, a serious chronic respiratory uh, infection. So people, patients who have, for example, cystic fibrosis or bronchiectasis or other types of, of chronic structural lung disease, uh, those patients are at high risk of, of, of uh, uh, unusual organisms like pseudomonas. So that kind of makes sense why well, you wouldn't want to include them in the study. Patients who had known immunosuppression and, and they had a pretty broad definition of that, but, but it was usually patients who either had uh, immunosuppressive disease or taking significant immunosuppressive medications. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, drugs for organ rejection or autoimmune disease, things like that. Uh, patients who were diagnosed with healthcare-associated pneumonia, remember that, that the new guidelines say there really is no such thing as healthcare-associated pneumonia anymore. It's hospital-acquired pneumonia, um, but, but they, and they don't really go into the definition of that. Uh, suspicion of aspiration pneumonia um, or any other concomitant infection. So they really wanted to hone in on patients who had moderate severe symptoms and disease bad enough they had to be admitted to the hospital, but really had no other complicating factors. So when we're trying to interpret the study, you know, again, looking at, at, at internal and external validity is always really important. And in this case, we, we need to keep in mind who they included in the study. What they did then at 72 hours is they took a look at patients and said, okay, you are considered stable if you don't have a fever anymore or any other uh, uh, criteria of sepsis. So you weren't tachycardic, you weren't tachypnic, your white count was normal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like that. You had a normal mental status and you weren't hypoxic anymore. So basically had a good response. I think, would, I think we'd all agree to, to, uh, to the treatment for community-acquired pneumonia. At that point, at 72 hours of treatment, then they were then randomized into either placebo and, and, and this was oral placebo tablets, which was matching, uh, or five more days of, of amoxicillin um, clavulonic. So they got five days more of, of augmentin or matching placebo. They took pains in the, in the paper to note that they, they made the placebo tablets look exactly the same. So that's, take that for, for what you will. Um, at day zero, they also calculated something called the pneumonia severity index. Uh, those of you who work in, in hospitals are probably pretty familiar with this. It's a kind of a complex, uh, a, a formula where you look at a whole bunch of patient characteristics and calculate a number, and basically the higher the number, uh, the worse the the, uh, uh, the prognosis, the worse the, the mortality. So, like uh, pneumonia severity indexes in the one two range, people usually do really well, and in fact, often don't even need to be hospitalized. But pneumonia severity indexes that are higher than that usually require hospitalization or even ICU admission in, in some cases. So, so they did look at that because they certainly wanted to to stratify by different severities of pneumonia, and that's a good way to do that. What they did then is they asked patients to return at day 15 and 30 and, and see how, and see, you know, were, were they better? Were, you know, were they cured? And their, their definition of cure was basically uh, they had no more fevers. They had resolution or significant improvement of clinical symptoms. That, of course, is, is, is somewhat subjective, so it's something to kind of keep in mind. But basically, you know, were, were there clinical symptoms such as their coughing frequency or severity? Was their sputum production better? Was their dyspnea better, et cetera, et cetera? Secondary outcomes were cured at day 30, all-cause mortality at day 30, and then very importantly, they did look at the frequency and severity of adverse effects during follow-up because, again, 
I don't think anybody's, you know, really going to argue so much. I mean, we are certainly concerned about about uh, efficacy and making sure that 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 three days of antibiotics is as good as is in this case eight days of antibiotics. But we also want to say, gee, you know, do the three people with three days of antibiotics have less side effects, and what what would those side effects be? So that's they did, and that's a key secondary outcome they did look at. It was a non inferiority study, and and non inferiority studies are always a little bit weird to kind of take a look at. Um, you know, I'm sure most of us have read have read plenty of them in our in our careers, but the in this study, they did use the standard 95% confidence interval, and then they looked at the at the 10% uh, uh, below the 95% the lower limit of the 95% confidence interval. And basically, if if the placebo was was above the uh, lower within 10% of the of the 95% confidence interval, the lower limit of the 95% confidence interval, they counted that as not as as equivalent to non inferiority, and that's pretty standard. Um, there, there are other statistical tests you can do to, to demonstrate non inferiority. But this is one of the easiest and, and one of the more common ones you're going to see done is that is the, the theory is, is that, okay, well, if the 95% confidence interval says that 95% of the time I'm going to get something from as low as X to as high as Y, I want to be within 10% of the very lowest it could be. And that's what I'm going to count. So it's kind of a conservative way to assess, to assess non-inferiority. They did do post hoc sensitivity analysis based on the, the pneumonia severity uh, um, uh, index to see again were they seeing similar numbers across different severities of pneumonia. It was an intention to treat analysis, and just to make sure they were extra super duper uh, conservative, they actually did a imputed uh, imputed a worst case scenario analysis. So basically, they they put in the, the the when they looked at the the scores, they put in the absolute worst case scenario on all of them and made sure that those numbers were were, were still within that ten percent of the of the ninety five percent confidence interval. Uh, it did take them a while to do this study. It was a five-year study. So um, um, that, that tells you again that, that uh, the, the, the patients they included and excluded were pretty narrow because it took them five years to accumulate uh, a, a 310 patients because that was the power they needed was 310 patients. So considering how common CAP is, I think that is a, an issue that, that speaks to the fact that we're not going to, no matter what the results of the study are, we're not going to be able to shotgun its use to everybody that we see with CAP because they had very narrow inclusion exclusion criteria. When they take a look at the baseline characteristics, about uh, the mean age was 72. That's about what I think I would see in my hospital. Most patients had at least one comorbidity of, of hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. About, in fact, about 30% of patients had diabetes. About 30% had stable pulmonary disease. And the vast majority um, um, uh, had uh, 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 pneumonia severity indexes of two, three, and four. So about 60% of, of patients had that kind of moderate level, moderate to severe level of CAP. About 30% had a PSI index of one and only 8% had a PSI index of five, uh, which tells you again that, I mean, that makes sense because the patients with the most severe pneumonia would of course, be likely to be in the ICU, so they would they would not be uh, candidates for this study. So then, what did they find? Well, in the results in the intention to treat analysis on day 15, so the day 15 cure rate, they actually found that 77% of patients in the placebo arm met the criteria for cure. So 77% of patients who received nothing for five days met the criteria for cure. And 68% of people who got the beta-lactam for five days were to be cured. So, so let that sink in for a second, that the cure rate was actually slightly higher in patients who received placebo than in patients who, who, who received the beta-lactam. So um, uh, as you might imagine, that certainly met their criteria for, for non-inferiority, even when they took a look at the lower instance of the 95% confidence interval. And when they broke down the, the uh, different PSI scores, so PSI is one, two, three, four, and five, uh, they, they found that, again, uh, 
all of those numbers were above the negative 10% margin in each subgroup analysis. Um, um, and interestingly, though, except for patients who 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 uh, were younger than age 65, I'm not really sure what to make of that. I mean, when you start breaking down a study that with only 310 patients down to these little tiny numbers, you know, I'm certainly not going to going to hang my hat on the statistical significance of that. That might have just been the play of chance. But I think you know certainly what you can take away is from their primary outcome at day 15. You know, you can say at a minimum that that uh, the placebo arm in this study uh, certainly uh, did not. Have have a lower cure rate at 15 days. In fact, numerically, they had a higher cure rate. Um, and even when you took the 95% confidence intervals into account, it, it certainly uh, did not reach that uh, uh, below 10% of the of, of the lower limit of the 95% confidence interval. So you can feel pretty assured, I think, you know, in most of these patients that that uh, the three-day, as far as efficacy concerned, was equivalent to the eight-day therapy of, of Augmentin. Uh, there was no difference in cure rates for mortality at 30 days. And then when we get into adverse drug reactions, they, they do do some detailed adverse drug reactions. And as you might imagine, the biggest uh, side effects were digestive disorder, particularly diarrhea, which was reported in 19% of the placebo arm and probably not surprising to the pharmacist listening to me, about 20% of people who were receiving Augmentin because of course, that's a very common side effect. And so uh, uh, about about twice as many patients, uh, uh, you know, about 10% more patients, but, but relatively speaking, about twice as many patients did, re, did have diarrhea, obviously, um, on the beta-lactam arm compared to the placebo arm. Their numbers are really small, and so they, they did not note an increased risk of C. diff. That Again, with these small numbers, that doesn't particularly surprise me, um, but I suspect if, if we had had you know, another several hundred patients, they, they might have had enough uh, C. diff uh, infections that you might have been able to see a difference, but they didn't even really comment on it because they just said that they, they, didn't, they didn't find it at all, so that, that's really what they said. So what we can kind of take away from, from, from this study is, is that, uh, that you know, it seems that from the study that if you have this kind of narrow group of patients, so again, you know, you know, patients who have with moderate to severe uh, cap, who are over age 18, who don't have a lot of other con uh, confounding factors, it does seem as if three days of therapy uh, uh, is as good as eight days of therapy. So how do we translate that in the United States, where we do commonly give patients, especially in an inpatient setting, uh, both azithromycin and ceftriaxone, for example, I think, you know, when you're when you're talking about two antibiotics versus one, you know, I think the, the simple argument to make is that uh, you could argue that since we're using two antibiotics in, in, in the United States, that three days should certainly be uh, uh, appropriate in patients who meet the definitions of this study. And so, um, you know, I, it'll be very interesting to, to see you know, if, if, if organizations like the Infectious Disease Society of America take this data and, 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 and do something with it when, they, when they're making the recommendations, um, I think that the longer we keep people on antibiotics, we are just basically putting them at risk for, for you know, um, um, uh, side effects. And, and I, while cost is not usually that big of an issue with the antibiotics we're dealing with here, I think it is worth noting that, 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 that cost can be an issue, especially in an outpatient setting as well. So, you know, I, you know what am I going to do with this data? I think Think that certainly if I see patients who are doing really, really good at day three, you know, I think, you know, disseminating this information to my physicians and say, look, in patients who kind of seem to meet this criteria, I think that we can feel pretty good about maybe not sending them home on antibiotics because that's what we end up doing in the hospital all the time.
sign is, you know, patient gets admitted on day one with cap. Uh, they're not doing too swell, but now after some, you know, intravenous fluids and some antibiotics by day three, they're looking like a rose. Things are much better. They're breathing better. They're not, you know, febrile. And inevitably what we do is we send them home with another four to seven days of, of, of oral antibiotics, sometimes both azithromycin and an oral third generation cephalosporin. I sometimes try to at least get them down to just the oral third generation cephalosporin. You could argue in patients who kind of meet the criteria of, of, of this study that, that maybe we don't even need to send them home on antibiotics. So that is kind of interesting. And this is a timely study because just last week, um, the American College of Physicians uh, uh, recently re released a guideline paper talking about duration of common infections that, in, that internists are going to see. And it was a, a fairly detailed, do uh, the, the document itself isn't that detailed, but, but the, the way they, came, they went about it was pretty interesting is they had a group of researchers that the American College of Physicians uh, basically uh, tasked with, with looking at clinical guidelines uh, as far as, as uh, uh, bronchitis with COPD exacerbations, CAP, again, can acquire pneumonia, urinary tract infections, and cellulitis, so common infections that, uh, that most uh, uh, primary care docs are going to see quite a bit. Um, and they looked at all the studies in the literature as far as, as um, a research, uh, research as far as duration. They did not do a formal systematic review and meta-analysis, and they do point that out, out in, this, in, this, in this review paper. But they do basically say that, that, that they, they wanted to, take a, to compile all this information and make their best recommendation based on, on it, for, I mean, again, for primary care providers in particular. And the, 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 the bottom line of it is that they recommend that for, for most community-acquired pneumonia, for most urinary tract infections and even pyelonephritis, and for most uh, cellulitis and acute exacerbations of COPD, five days of antibiotics should be the rule and not the exception. So again, that's, that's uh, you know, very important is that these are, these are probably among the most common infections that, that community pharmacists, hospital pharmacists, and primary care providers are going to see. Uh, I see them all the time, I guess, as you do too, that five days of antibiotics should be the rule and not the exception. And I think that that lends even more uh, cachet to, to this paper saying that, you know, I, I think the, the, the pendulum is swinging away from when I came out of school. We, you know, we were always taught, okay, you know, we're going to give somebody 10, 10 days of antibiotics and we've got to make sure to really, you know, hit them over the head when we counsel them. You've got to finish all 10 days of, 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 an, of, of antibiotics because if we don't, then the patient, then, then the, the resistant organisms that are left over can grow and you can get in trouble and we can control with, 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 with uh, uh, resistant organisms. And that, doesn't seem to be true. And in fact, um, when they've looked at, at that, that the, the whole longer, you know, longer uh, a treatment course kills all the bugs sort of thing, um, it doesn't, when, when we take a look at studies that have examined this, it doesn't seem to be true. It doesn't seem to drive case failures or, or increase of antibiotic resistance. In fact, uh, when we look at antibiotic resistance, m many studies have suggested the exact opposite, that the longer we put people on antibiotics, the more likely we're, we're to see uh, a resistance, with resistance pop up. So again, it's, for older pharmacists like myself, it's, it's kind of a, a change in how we were taught that, you know, you always tell patients, hey, you know, you got to complete all your antibiotic course. And of course, we're still going to tell patients to complete all their antibiotic course. But I think the, the, the whole, you know, 10 days of antibiotics, I want to make sure I kill that bug dead. Um, you know, is, is, um, is probably not what we need to do. And I think it speaks in, in large part to the fact that our antibiotics are very, very effective at quickly and efficiently uh, uh, controlling infections in most patients. And, and we don't need the overkill, you know, the atomic bomb, as you will, of, 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 of antibiotics to basically, you know, make sure everything is dead, dead, dead. Because when you do that, you're also making sure that the flora gets killed off too. So the normal flora gets killed off. And again, 
that puts us right back where we were with with, with C. diff. So, you know, again, you know, I, I think what I've taken away from, from that document and this paper is that, you know, I think my natural trend in the last, you know, five or seven years has been, you know, three to five day, you know, days of antibiotics, five days of antibiotics has kind of been my standard. And I think that really should be the rule. And I think as pharmacists in particular, we can be, you know, good about, about, you know, working with our providers and, and letting them know, hey, you know, maybe 14 days of antibiotics for this, you know, uh, a, a skin and soft tissue infection just isn't probably necessary at this point. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So shorter is better, um, I think, is the, is the bottom line, and I think is, is kind of what the study shows. Um, I, I think that 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 uh, it, again, it doesn't mean that everybody only gets five days of antibiotics or three days of antibiotics. And again, you know, using your clinical judgment is always going to be the way to go. There are patients who are probably going to require longer uh, treatment uh, uh, um, periods, but again, for uncomplicated patients uh, who have again these uh, have CAP in the study, and then even some of these other uh, um, diseases, that 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 three to five days is really what we should be looking at in most patients. So that's it for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, we, I really appreciate it. Again, wherever you listen to podcasts, head on over, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, and uh, tell your friends and family. Um, we, the more, more people listen, the better. Also, before I uh, leave, uh, as many of you know, I do uh, um, uh, record electronic music under the name Prophet of Jupiter, and I do have my new EP coming out, Dextracardia, so kind of a medical thing there, uh, and that will be actually released April uh, 12th. So uh, head on over if you like electronic music and listen to it. Thanks a lot. We'll catch you next week. And remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thank you for joining Dr. Jeff Wall for this week's episode. If you like it, please share it. Head over to CEImpact.com for more.